we're going to just move right into the sermon uh, this morning. And uh, my wife, Ellen, is going to be preaching this morning. During the week, Ellen works at Fraser Academy. She's an Orton-Gillingham therapeutic tutor and fellow. She is a learning specialist that's helping other people help kids learn how to read. And she's also been trained in ministry, and uh, we took some of the same classes in seminary, and she did very well. And uh, we, we would not talk about grades a whole lot except on occasion, right? Like when he turned our papers in together, and I had never turned in a late paper, and he convinced me it was okay, and I got docked for a late paper, and he didn't. One of those strange, strange moments, right? <laughs> Keeps us very honest in that way. I'm going to just pray for Ellen and uh, set us before the Lord here. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your grace in our lives and uh, entrust ourselves to you. We pray that you would, in turn, help us return to joy, return to you, and to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We just entrust Ellen to you now and pray that you would uh, anoint her with her spirit. May the words of her mouth and the meditations of her heart that become public now in the preaching uh, be pleasing to you and an act of worship. May you um, do surgery in our own hearts and lives today for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So when we return to something, we are turning again. We are turning our attention, we're turning our thinking, and hopefully following our thinking and emotions are our choices and our actions. When we return to joy, we are returning to the Lord. Now, we're going to head into Isaiah 35, but I want to talk about this question, can God be trusted? Because Isaiah is an important book. You probably read it. It's long. But here's what I want you to have a little quick outline in your mind. Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, and Micah, four prophets. Read them together. They're, we're all preaching to the same crisis. Okay, I know this is history, but it's going to help us. Just, okay, so Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, and Micah. They were preaching to the same crisis. And in the book of Isaiah, the first, uh, up to about chapter 12, is saying, is God really over all the nations or just us? Can God deliver us from Assyria, this powerful, dark, ominous, cruel nation that's coming to take us over? And underlying all of this facing this heavy is can God be trusted? So you may not be worried about what world power is about to come and take you over, but you might be worried about something that underlying is saying, can God be trusted? Isaiah chapters 13 to 35, 35 is where we're going to be today, is the answer to that, can God be trusted? And there's lots of wisdom, there's lots of depth and choice, but in Isaiah 34 and 35, it says not only can God be trusted, but God's going to show up. 
And he's going to return our joy. And so I want you to see that this is in a bigger context. We can go to the next slide, Whitney. In this, you need a little bit of map, too. Do you see that green kind of crescent? It's called the Fertile Crescent. And so it was, if you want to know the truth, <laughs> Abram had moved up to the top and then come back down. And in this story is this fear of Assyria in the background. But specifically, we're going to be entering in a conflict between Edom and Judah. Have you ever heard of the lost tribes of Israel? If you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you might have heard. Um, those ten tribes get taken off by Assyria and scattered, never to come back. But Judah was the remnant in the south. And there was this land. Do you see where it says the Arabah Valley? Okay, so it's a desert. And this matters for in a minute. In that desert, if it rained, it was also very fertile. It also happened to have an important trade route. So have you ever wondered why there's so much conflict? It's this trade route. Whoever controlled that region had access to go into Egypt, into these powerful nations of Syria and Babylon, or to what's now Turkey. Basically, it's the hinge point of three continents. And that trade route made Edom even wealthier. All right, and now let's go to Isaiah 35. What's happened is Isaiah 34, which we won't read, is telling all about the judgment of God on Edom. Now, Edom, think about this. They had great fertile land in a pastoral society, so their crops and their animals were thriving. They controlled the trade route. Y'all, they were on top. They were the ones that applied and got in the best universities of their day. They weren't universities, but it's that concept. They were the ones who applied for the grants and got so much money for their research that everybody wanted to work in their lab. They were the ones, the com comparable to our day, who applied for a job and got promoted beyond expectation. They were economically thriving but on the backs of other people. They were not thriving in loving God. They were not thriving in how they treated the poor. They were not thriving in honesty. If you go back to even Isaiah 33, you would find out that they were accepting bribes. They were extorting people. Their ears would just ignore any plots of murder. They were the ones who would dwell on the heights in proud in pride, but in their pride, they would not turn to God. So what does God do? He says, enough. And so all of Isaiah 34 is God's judgment on this land that's so flourishing that they can't imagine anybody's going to stop them. And then in Isaiah 35, it tells us the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Romans 8 reminds us that 
all creation is groaning because of the sin of humanity. But Isaiah 35, 1 through 2, reminds us that also all creation can celebrate when God shows up. Have you been to a party and you're feeling awkward and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I come? And your friend who we were supposed to meet there is late and you're like, yeah, I think I'm just checking out. And then they show up. And when the friend shows up, you start to dance. And when the friend shows up, you meet other people. And you're like, oh, I'm having so much fun. Well, that is what creation does. God shows up and creation starts having fun. Creation blooms and creation flourishes. And those of us that know the Lord and we want to return to joy, we can join in with creation. We can appreciate all that's happening. Now, there's a whole lot of details. You get the, it was desert and now it's flourishing. I want to make sure you also know that Lebanon was a very fertile forest. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't looked it up. So I'm assuming you might not. Carmel's a mountain. And in the valley by that mountain is the plain of Sharon. You may know we have in our garden here in BC, the rose of Sharon is a flower that flourished there. So this is a picture of one of the tops in the Carmel range. And underneath you can see these flourishing plants. So the desert had become this flourishing space because of the glory of God. Creation's already celebrating. Edom's already grieving. And the people of Judah aren't sure what to make of it all. Because sometimes when God shows up in judgment, do you, have you ever seen the judgment of God or feared the judgment of God? No? Yes? So here's what to notice. Edom is grieving, but creation knows things are about to get better. We have some foresters here. They know specifically the weight the earth bears under us. But why is it we are comfortable in judgment your grades are a form of judgment. You may great, dread them, but you think, oh, I've earned it or I didn't earn it. We accept judgment. We have high-level race competitors. In a race, we accept judgment. Now, we may have to call out if they're not calling things justly, but we accept the judgment of who's in first, second, and third place. When you applied to a university, did anybody... Um, not get accepted to some place you wanted? And did you question them? Maybe you did. But we accept and live under all these judgments. And then when it comes to the things of God, we say, don't judge me. The wisest, the most loving being in the entire universe and creation knows, ooh, it's good when he shows up, even if it looks harsh. Animals are starting to make their nest, if we had read in Isaiah 34. But we say, don't judge me. Instead of saying, oh, in the glory of God is something that may come next. In the glory of God, we can find 
out what will help us actually flourish. I'm not going to read all those texts in case you're worried. Those are there just in case you want to study because the glory of God is a theme in Isaiah. What is the glory? The glory is the beauty and the goodness and the greatness and the splendor. And we want to make our own joy. I was talking to some, a 20-year-old this week who says, I just want to be independent. I'm like, that's good, and you will be. But maybe right now is a time you need a little help. When God shows up, joy happens. And if joy is not what happens when we return into God's presence, that's when we look at our hearts and our minds and our actions and intentions. Because the Spirit may be needing to say, what makes turning to God not help you return to joy? And instead of being fearful or avoidant of God's justice, we say, oh, there is something life-giving in it. This quote, joy is always a byproduct of the presence of God in his world. When we, through our lack of trust, hold him at arm's length, the end result is desolation. It is only when we turn to him, recognizing the usefulness of all other people, that we can perceive his coming to us and find joy in being complete with him. All the book of Isaiah is God saying, I want justice because that's how you're going to all flourish. And there were so many that were like, well, I'm just really worried about my flourishing and about my abundance and my family's wealth. And it's not so different. And God had to keep saying, come back, come back. So now, what happens when we're just too worn to turn back to God? So in Isaiah 35, verse 3, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give away. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Okay. Now, if I had put an old person with a walker, and I thought about that, we would have been like, oh, that's so bad. Oh, we should help them. But, you know, we also have walkers for children who are still learning. And spiritually, God gets that you may be as old as I am, but you are sometimes a spiritual child who just is going to fall down. And he also, if you have this as your Bible, I want you to circle the word come. Because God comes to you. God comes to you to strengthen you. God comes to you to save you. God comes to us, plural. That is a kind of God he is. He came to Edom, and Edom needed correcting. He came to Judah to save them, and they were worn down. There was a lot happening politically. There was a lot happening economically that was unjust, and God came to them. Now, thinking about this, he comes with vengeance and with divine retribution. Does that make anybody feel a little quaky? Guess what? If you are trying to turn to him, you have nothing to fear. 
It's when you're trying to get away with something that maybe it's time for a pause. But the things that we're trying to get away with aren't life-giving. So I was at camp all week with my school. Y'all, there were some moments. Teenagers wanting to go where they weren't supposed to go. Well, you could do a favor for me. I'd love to do a favor that would be good for you. This isn't it. You're not going into the dark over by the water where the rocks are. Well, you could just look the other way. Like, this is an actual conversation I had with two young women. And I looked at her and I said, is there anything in my personality that seems like I'm the kind of person that's going to look the other way? And she took a breath and she goes, yeah, no. And I said, so you just go on back to the dance or you can go play volleyball. But guess what? I've been thinking about it. And I'm like, that's what we do to God. You just need to look the other way while I go where I'm not supposed to be. You just need to do me a favor, God, and let me get away with this because I think it's going to be all right. So when we talk about God's coming, we don't have to fear. Even his vengeance, even his divine retribution is to distribute what is good and just and life-giving. And so if we're going where we shouldn't be going, then we can be at rest that he will come to save us, maybe from our own foolishness, like these 15-year-olds. And then in verse 5 and 6, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, And streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Now, Isaiah, the teacher here, had had a special encounter with God. Now, here's one of the things that happens. You see somebody's whole life, and in the Bible we get this one high and holy moment, and we think, oh, I've never had it. So when you're 90, you come back, and well, I probably won't be around on this earth, but when you're 90, you remember, oh, I did encounter the high and holy one. I did meet God. And he did have to come and clean my lips as Isaiah in Isaiah 6 did. He was praying in the temple because his cousin the king had died. And he was grieving. And God showed up. And God called him to be the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah 6... Um, verse 10, may the heart of this people be calloused, make their ears dull, and the close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, God was letting Isaiah know he was being called into a hard ministry. Guess what? You were here at UBC, and I would assume many of you are followers of Jesus because not many UBC students give their Sunday morning to worship the Lord. You are called to be the presence of Christ on this campus. And guess what? It's a hard call. Because there are many that are blind and many that are by choice deaf to things that are of God. And it's a hard call. And here, 
The very man that got called and then told people weren't going to listen and look at what he was doing. God says, but now I'm opening them back up. And in that, he is also telling them all the changes that were actually already happening. Animals were celebrating. Remember, God's come to the party. Water was going to come forth from the wilderness. Do you remember Moses? Children of Israel were kind of getting on his last nerve. And he took his staff and he hit that rock. And what came out? Water aplenty. It came gushing. It changed some of Moses' future. But it was the power of God for these people. Here we are. The burning sand will become a pool. Thirsty ground. Do y'all remember the days when it was really hot this summer and it was smoky here? And you're just like, I am so thirsty. If you had to go for a walk, you needed something to drink. God is doing it for the whole land. He is making flourish what had been dry and deserted desert. In your life, where you have been dry spiritually, or you have felt feeble-handed, and you have not had the knee strength to go where God wanted you to go, God's letting you know he is bringing you to a flourishing place. And in verse 8, a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So we have this picture of beautiful water. I wanted you to realize that water is a motif through the whole Old Testament into the New Testament. And we sure aren't tracking with these scriptures all the verses. But what I want you to see is the garden had rivers that went four directions. The presence of God where he met with humans was a flourishing garden with these rivers. Then when you read the waters, get to Ezekiel 47, and the temple had been destroyed, but God gave Ezekiel a vision. Now, God gave Ezekiel some crazy visions, but this vision happened to be the temple rebuilt And as the temple was rebuilt, there were again rivers flowing from the temple of God for the life of his people. And then we have our Jesus who said that he was living water. And that stream, he's saying this to that woman that had five husbands and the one she was with wasn't. Streams of living water would flow through them. And then he tells the people that he would be the source of their strength, of their wisdom, of their hope, and of their joy. And when we end up the Bible in Revelation 22, you will find that again you're in the city of God where rivers flow from the throne of God. And both in Ezekiel and Revelation 22, there are trees that have fruit every month for the healing of the nations. In the water is a motif for the 
presence and the spirit of God flowing and changing, we can return to joy when we receive Jesus as the stream of living water filling us up. So that we have the strength in verse 8 to walk on the way of holiness. Now, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, have you been there? A couple of people. It's up on a hill. And the only picture I could find was from the 40s, and I decided that that was neither ancient nor modern, and so I don't have the picture. But there are, in Psalm 120 to 134, the songs of ascent. And when they were going on pilgrimage people would sing these songs as they got up and they were walking up the hill mountain. Have y'all ever done the grouse grind? When I'm going up the grouse grind, I'm not singing praises to Jesus. I'm saying, I'm too old for this. Help, oh, my knee hurts. Why did I choose to do this? You don't even get a good view till you get to the top. I should have paid for that gondola ride. And so... When I go up, I'm not singing songs of worship or joy, but the pilgrims could see that they were almost where they were headed. And they sing the songs of ascent, of joy, of hope. And guess what? They don't have complainers like me when they are going into God's presence. It's the ones that want to be there. It's the ones that want to go. There is nothing to fear. There's nothing that's going to eat them up. Now, let me suggest that there are probably not many lions on your walk across campus. But there is the presence of the evil one who would come to steal, kill, and destroy what brings you joy. And he is like a roaring lion who roams about seeking who he can devour. And our heavenly father says, come and walk with me. Keep in step, Galatians 5 tells us, with the spirit of Jesus. As we keep in step with the spirit, love, joy, and peace become what we are a part of. And then we don't need to be fearing the ravenous lions. Being redeemed. Okay, until... I had somebody explain the biblical term redeemed. The only idea of redeemed was coupons, and my mama redeemed coupons. But this redeem is different. This redeem says you are a part of the family of God. You might know the story of Ruth and Boaz. So Ruth was from Moab, and if we, in the map, there was Eden, and right above Eden was Moab. Moab, the descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot, and they didn't always get along well or treat right the people of Israel. But Ruth took good care of her mother-in-law. And when she went and basically took the blanket off Boaz's feet and proposed marriage to him, he said, oh, I would love to marry you, but I'm not the closest kinsman redeemer. I'm not the closest family member. Because the male family, remember, was supposed to redeem her into the family. And he made a way. He preserved, he saved both Ruth and Naomi. He was the kinsman redeemer. So when God says, I'm going to redeem us, 
and the redeemed walk there. It's saying we're in his family. He's the one that stepped up and did the business it took to restore us into his family. The Lord has rescued and he will return. We can enter Zion singing everlasting joy. Now, you're like, I'm not feeling it. I am in sorrow and sighing. I am weak need and feeble-handed right now. So what in the world? Don't talk to me about false happiness. Um, Dr. Willie Jennings has a 20-minute video. You can Google it and find it. But in it, he says that joy is an act of resistance to despair. And there are times where we are at the party and God is there. And there are other times when we're still sitting wallflower-ish on the edge in the dark, not about to leave the party, and we're not sure if God is coming. And so, Isaiah 35 is a place to read and realize there will be a point where gladness and joy will overtake you, will catch up to where you are in your sorrow and sighing. You may have heard of the devotional, and you may not have, Streams in the Desert. It was written about this passage. It was written by a woman who she and her husband were missionaries in Japan. And then her husband got sick. And so they did the things we do. They prayed for healing. And they're like, God's going to do it because we love God and he's going to heal us and we've been serving him. Guess what? God didn't heal her husband. Guess what? There was nothing. And yet... She started collecting quotes and scriptures and songs and letters people gave her. And she had a whole old school folder full of the words given to her where she had no hope. And they became for her streams in the desert as this passage did. And she wrote a devotional that's been translated into lots and lots of languages. And in the devotional... There are people buried with this book. So think about where you are in a dry and parched land. Or in the middle, this is, these are all from the Arabah. In the middle, you can see where a stream used to be. It's come. Water was there. But that middle picture's all dried out. The water cut out this goodness, but the water's not there. There will be a day where the Lord will return you into a water-filled, bubbling brook, streams in the desert. And so for now, if you are in a time of sorrow and sighing, of weakness and feebleness, not sure you can stand much more, I encourage you to look in the dryness for a flower this week. Because We can return to joy. We can trust that God is making a way. We as the people of origin say that we are on a life journey with Jesus. And we want to spark that life journey with others. And sometimes it takes paying attention to the small 
and the beautiful. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to join in with your creation, and we want to return to your joy. And yet sometimes we feel it's such a contrast, your joy and our sorrow and sighing. So help us to see that you have redeemed us into your family, that you are coming to us, and that you will overtake us in our sorrow and sighing to be with you so that we can join you and your people in seeing songs of ascent, songs of joy. We love you and we turn our attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Seek to please him in every way so that we might bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God, that we might be strengthened with all power so that we might have great endurance and patience, and then giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Would you take a moment and give joyful thanks to God? You've just prayed a prayer of repentance. Maybe you weren't done, but as you come to the close of that, you can be joyful, for his promise is to cleanse us, cleanse you, to cleanse us of every sin. So give him joyful thanks. The scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after the supper Jesus took the cup and he said this is my body this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes come Lord Jesus come